Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Today is going to be, I say, it's going to be a little bit different in the sense that I'm sharing what's going to be a two-part message. So you're going to get the first part today and then it's going to be like waiting for the longest ever sequel ever because you're going to have to wait for five weeks until I share the second part. Yeah, so I'm going to keep you on your toes because if you remember this message today, we'll follow it on in five weeks' time. Yes. Um, we've just gone through Easter in, uh, in, in churches around the world. We've celebrated Easter. And it's one of the biggest celebrations in the Christian calendar. And we, around that time, we had some, I thought, some fantastic messages shared in this place. We were looking at um, the power of the cross, which brought that message on just how powerful the cross is and what it means for us. Ruth shared such a, a brilliant and beautiful message about, centered around the resurrection of Christ. Just so many it's snippets of gold within that. I encourage you to listen to it. It's up, it's up online. It's on our podcast. You can listen to it and just take it all in. And last week, even Mark shared a great message on waiting in the wilderness, those wilderness moments, and how important that is, and how valuable it is, how God's timing is perfect. And it's, we must fit into that timing rather than do things our own way. Oh, so it's easy to do things our own way, isn't it? But God's timing is perfect, and we rest in that timing. Now, over this uh, two-part message, we're going to be looking at one of the last conversations Jesus had with his disciples all together before he was actually taken to be crucified. So we're kind of like, we're going back a few steps, but it's important. This conversation has been mulling over this passage for quite a number of weeks. It's like, this is important to share. Because within it, there are um, well-known verses or statements that are often quoted throughout uh, the Christian church. And in our lives, we can quote a number of the verses that we're going to be looking at. And there's importance of understanding what they meant in the there and then so that we can apply them adequately to the here and now. And that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be going through this chapter in two parts and just unpacking it together. So this, I've called this greater things. You can pop that up, Lorraine. Um, greater things. We're looking at the way of Jesus over the next uh, two times that I will be sharing with you today. And why greater things is a question I know you're all asking right now. Um, simply because Jesus was paving the way. He was... Uh, making a way where greater things would come as a result of what he was about to do or accomplish on the cross. His whole earthly ministry was pointing to greater things that were to come in and through him. And so together we're going to be looking at John chapter 14. This is going to be our focus, our central chapter. And just before this moment that we're about to read, Jesus had revealed to his disciples of his impending death, that he would be betrayed, that he would not be around much longer, even predicting that uh, Peter's denial of him. If I were the disciples, that's not something I would expect Jesus to say, especially as you were gathered together. 
It's not a very uplifting few things to say, is it? Even if we were to look in Matthew 26, Jesus stated there that the disciples would all fall away on account of him. That the shepherd would be struck down and the sheep of the flock would be scattered. I am encouraged. <laughs> if I were the disciples then, I'd be a little bit concerned. Jesus, what are you saying? And this is what we're going to be reading. So we're going to read through this in sections because it's quite a lot to read, and we're just going to read the first half of John chapter 14 together. So we're going to start in verses 1 to 4. And I, again, it will come up behind me. Um, I've done the PowerPoint for your benefit as well to follow along. And it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So we're going to stop there. Of course, we're understanding everything that Jesus has said just before this moment, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In Jesus' response to the disciples in following on his conversations, he was unveiling to them, saying, already seeing that their hearts were going to be troubled. He said, your troubled hearts will be comforted by what I say, well, I'm about to say. Troubled hearts are comforted. The disciples, they were troubled because they did not understand what was before them. They did not understand what Jesus was saying to them. You add to this that Jesus had revealed that he was leaving them, Peter would deny him, how they would all flee on account of him. There was a crisis in their minds imminent. Something big is going to happen and we don't understand it. Everything was being shaken. After three years of walking alongside Jesus, suddenly everything was going to change. They did not know what was ahead. Question for us is now the question I was asking of myself when I was looking through this. I was thinking, how many times have I been troubled by not knowing what is ahead? How many times have we been troubled by not knowing what's around the corner? Even as believers, even as followers of God, we can allow our hearts to become troubled through not knowing, not having all the details. If you like me, I like details. I like knowing. And not knowing, well, my heart starts to go, Ooh. maybe it's the same with us as well. And there are many things in this world that can cause our hearts to, to become troubled. Unlike the disciples, it can usually occur when we experience a lack of control or we do not know the outcome. I don't know what's ahead. I don't know what's, I don't know what, what's going to happen. And we allow these thoughts to fester. And we allow fear and worry and doubt to build up into our hearts. Our hearts become shaken as a result. He's not here today, but I have a personal trainer, Kevin. I referred to him last, a couple of weeks last time I shared. He's usually the cool guy with dreadlocks, if you ever see him wandering in this place. Yeah, he's my personal trainer. 
And uh, once a week, I, um, I go and have a training session with him, and I do not know what he's going to do to me. <laughs> right? I have an idea, and I turn up, and I'm just like, okay, Kevin, what are we doing? You know my program. Sometimes like, we're doing a leg, we're doing your back, we're doing shoulders, we're doing conditioning. It's like, okay, I've got an idea. Okay. Now, the next thing, he's going to be my motivator. And of course, you can imagine how suddenly my heart skips a beat when he says to me, just going to say before you do this exercise, Tom, you may not like this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just like, I was all raring to go, and then you said that, and I'm starting to freak out a little bit. And like I said, this, that's just a, a small example, but there's many things we experience in life that can cause our hearts to start to skip a beat, to get a bit troubled, to allow worry to rise up within us. And Jesus called his disciples to trust in him. We've been singing those songs today, trusting in God. Why? Because trusting in God in him brings comfort. When everything seems on the verge of collapse, out of place, incomprehensible, we fix our eyes on Christ, trusting in him simply because of who he is. We don't need to know more than that. So, even after the disciples had been with him for three years, walking alongside Christ, it throws in the question, did they actually know who he was? Christ has gone before us. He's prepared a place which accommodates all who believe in him. That's an amazing thing that is ahead of us. That's our future hope. That is a great promise that we can look forward to. And it's all about a matter of perspective when we look at the things we face in our day to day. Rather than dwelling in the place where we have no understanding, which can cause fear, anxiety, worry, and concern to rise up within our hearts and minds, we should instead trust in the one who goes ahead of us, lays the path, has promised he's preparing that place for us who believe in him. It's perspective. It's a shift in our focus. The greatest comfort to hold on to in changing tides and seasons is that those who believe and trust in him will be reunited with Christ once again. That's the greatest thing that we got to look forward to. Jesus will personally come for his own, will receive them to himself, and they will be where he has already been. That's an amazing thing to behold. Christ's return is as certain as was his departure. He is coming again, church. The greatest blessing of heaven will be our ceaseless personal fellowship with Christ. It is not about the place. It's more about the object, the subject, the one who we will be with for all eternity. That's something I... My, my feeble little mind cannot comprehend is eternity because we are fixed in the constraints of time. Yet, if you can even try, imagine that place, that moment 
where time is no longer a factor. Where we are before our Savior for eternity. That is a future hope. That is what our eyes are fixing before. And it's a great thing to behold. It's a great thing to hold on to. And this is what Jesus was trying to reveal to the disciples. You know the way. He had been showing the path to follow the whole time he was with them. Just continue as I have shown you, was what he was trying to say to the disciples. So, he's bringing comfort to troubled hearts. But then, as he was just saying, Christ is the way revealed. That's the second point. Christ is the way revealed. And we're going to pick, carry on in verses 5 to 7. Thomas pipes up. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. How many of us know a Thomas? Without stating the obvious. <laughs> right? Maybe if I were to restate that, how many of us are Thomas? I know my name is Thomas, that's what I was referring to. <laughs> but I relate with what Thomas was stating, even though I know I am Thomas, but I'm relating to what he was stating. It's like a flip, isn't it? Because I don't believe he was doubting in this moment. I think he was just seeking clarification. And I am somebody that always asks questions to seek clarification. If you know me, the way I work is I will ask question after question after question after question so I can get clarity so then I can go and do what I need to do and do it right first time. Right? And I believe... I see here Thomas asking this question, and I think he was just saying, God, just clarify what you're trying to say. He was voicing the disciples' continuing confusion about Jesus' destination, what he was referring to. You see, the Father's house, heaven, was not a present realization yet for the disciples. It wasn't something they can fully comprehend at that, at that moment. We have scripture unveiled before us that unpacks, it, unpacks this more fully for us to even begin to grasp that. At that, at that time, the disciples were trying to understand what he was referring to. We don't get it. And I would say we too can get confused about our destination. I mean, I've asked the questions of God, where am I going so I can know the way? What's around the corner so I can know where to go? And it's a question often limited to this world. Where am I going so I can make the right steps tomorrow? So I can make the right steps next week? So I know what I'm stepping into. And it's okay to ask for clarity because Jesus will give the answer. He will reveal that to us in his timing. But the, the, the thing is, the way we're going has only one ultimate destination. There is, as I've always referred to, is being with him forever 
in eternity. That's our ultimate destination. That's the way we're walking. That's the way we're meant to be living. In his time with the disciples, Jesus had been unveiling the way of righteousness, the way of faith. Jesus' answer to Thomas was plain and simple. And as Ruth referred to a, a few weeks ago, there are some of these incredible I am statements that we read in John, and this is one of them, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've unpacked this a little bit more in the next slide. He is the way. He is the gate. He is the path to follow. He, he not only shows man the way to heaven, he himself is the way through him. He is the means by which we actually enter heaven through his death and resurrection that our sins are forgiven and we are counted as righteous in God's sight. He is the only way we can access the Father. There is no other way but him. Yeah? He is the truth, the word made flesh. He not only teaches the truth, but is himself the truth. For this reason, he is completely and wholly trustworthy. His gospel, the gospel, is true. Full stop. Don't have to add to it. When we believe in the truth of Jesus, when we accept his teaching, we receive that salvation which opens the doorway to that eternal promise. It's his truth, not my truth. It's his way, not my way. All other truths must be measured against him because he is the objective standard of truth. Yeah? And he's also the life. He is the source of eternal life that is found in him. Jesus not only gives life, he himself is life. To know Jesus is to have eternal life. True life comes from following Jesus' words and his path for us every single day. If I was to sum that up in a simple, I say a simple statement, as simple as I can make it, Jesus is the way to God because he is the truth from God and the life from God. He embodies God's supreme revelation, his, the truth that is from God, as well as contains and imparts divine life in us who believe and trust in his name. He is the way and the truth and the life. When we come into relationship with Christ, we come into relationship with the Father. We only have access to the Father through faith in the Son. This is why Jesus is the only way. So he, Jesus unveils his answer plain to Thomas. He's encouraged, he's comforting his disciples. <coughs> your troubled hearts, com it, let me comfort your troubled hearts and let me show you the way. Let me tell you what that way is. But in that statement, Christ's deity is also confirmed. His sovereignty is confirmed. This is our next point. 
And we're going to pick this up in verses 8 to 11. Philip now speaks up. And Philip says these words, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Like I said, Jesus' answer to Thomas should have been enough. Should have been plain and simple there and then. He's, he's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's amazing that Thomas gets such a bad rap for doubting, and then Philip pipes up with this question. Because <laughs> in my mind, he was the one that actually aired some doubt. Jesus had made the revelation of the Father more visible, clear, and pronounced than ever before, yet the disciples still hadn't fully realized who Jesus was, even after following him for three years. That's amazing to me, to think that. You're walking alongside Christ, and you can see by these questions that they're asking, close to when Jesus was going to go and be crucified, they still didn't fully get it. The deity of Christ was unveiled before the disciples, yet Philip was requesting proof of the Father. It's a challenge for us, isn't it? When God states something over us, for us, when we see outworkings in Scripture, we see these amazing miracles and breakthroughs and lives transformed at what Christ has done, what God has done, how often do we ask God to show us before we believe? God, I just need you to just show me that before I step into that. Show me the door and then I'll step into it. I need you to speak like some words that confirm this before I step out and walk. Show me, God, and that will be enough. That's not exactly how faith works. No doubt, I have no doubt Philip was asking a genuine question. I really do. Like a very genuine, like, God, show us the Father. You're talking about the Father. Show us the Father, and that will be enough. What if this was a statement that was a statement instead of a question? That's my thought here. Instead of asking a question... What if it was just a statement of faith? Something like, Christ, Jesus, you are enough. I do not need proof. I simply believe in you. What if that was our response? Instead of saying, God, show us, your word is enough, God. I don't need to know all the details. I don't need to have it all together. I simply believe in what you're saying. Jesus shared 
in response to Philip that he is the revelation of the Father. The thing is, when we look to Christ without faith, and there are many in this world that don't have faith in him, so when they look to Jesus, all they see is a man, a historic figure. Yet those of us who look to Christ with faith, we actually see God the Father because he's a reflection of God the Father. Though miracles are still happening today, we believe miracles are happening today, they are happening today. We don't need them to believe in Christ. His word should be enough. So now we get to the crunch point. And this is where the whole title of the message, Greater Things, come from. Greater things are found through him. Greater things are experienced in him. And we're going to read verses 12 to 14. And it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, there is a condition that is often missed when reading these verses. There is a consequence, a condition to believing in Christ, to believing in his name. Believing comes through faith, not doubt. And faith compels us to walk in the way that he's unveiled to us, to do what he has been doing, is the statement Jesus said. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. We are called to follow the example of Christ and to live it out in our everyday, a shift from our way to the way. Yes? And we are enabled to do what Christ has previously only been able to do through the Holy Spirit that is at work within us enabling power of the Spirit within us. We'll be looking more at this in five weeks' time. The sequel, that will come. But I want to focus on that statement, greater things. And right off the cuff, I want to say that there is nothing greater than God and there's nothing greater than Christ. Nothing will ever be greater than God. He is above all, in all, through all, over all things. Nothing is higher than him. Nothing is bigger than him. He is as great as it will ever be. And that's greater than we can ever think or imagine. Jesus' public ministry was over a three-year period, and it had only been witnessed through him and on a small occasion through the disciples when he sent them on his behalf. But really all that he was teaching was only unveiled through him. And so the scope of what he did was only limited to those that saw him, experienced him, encountered him. When we put our faith in him, we become Christ's ambassadors. 
we reflect him in our everyday. The church's scope, we as the church, our scope is therefore greater because we can reach far and wide. Jesus going to the Father enabled us who believe to step into his role as his ambassadors, advocates, his voice, his witness, and reach further and wider than Jesus' initial public ministry did. Does that make sense? He had to go to the Father for us to receive the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that enables us, equips us, compels us to step out in him, for him, to speak and reveal him to others. We look to verse 13 and 14. And these are passages I've heard quoted numerous times. Numerous, numerous times. And I want to say there is a condition even attached to the anything. Because it says there, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. There is a condition to the anything, but we can miss it. It's not a blank check in prayer. It's not God saying, write anything down and I'll and I'll pay that to you. This anything is clarified by the statement before it, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Praying in Jesus' name means coming to the Father in prayer as Jesus' representatives who are doing business on Jesus' behalf doing as he has been doing. And when we follow the way he has outlined, we in turn act for him in this world. So therefore, we will ask only what God's will is or what is subject to God's will. It's a shift. When we walk his way, it's not our way. So then we, we, we begin to reflect him to those around us. So when we come before him in prayer, it's in line with his way, not our way. It's his will, not our will. It's what he states, not what we want. The anything comes into alignment with the way Jesus has unveiled for us to follow. And when we follow the way, we reflect the way to others. That's why we sang that song, Believe for it. You are the way when there seems to be no way. He is the only way. And what we ask God in prayer further enhances his will and purpose because it doesn't come from a place of seeking personal gratification, but rather magnifying the one that made our freedom in him possible in the first place. We would not have this benefit, this freedom that we have, if Christ hadn't done what he did. We would still be lost souls had he not been crucified, laid down his life for us. But then, as we know, the greatest thing ever in history, he was raised. And therefore, birthing new life, a new way. There's hope, and it's found in him and him alone. 
We who believe in him, we are his representatives, living for his purpose, which in turn brings glory to the Father. It's magnifying him, not us. We reflect him. Greater things are found in him and him alone. That is the crux of it. That's what Jesus was unveiling to his disciples. I am the way. So live, it, live out the way that I have revealed to you. My question to you in drawing this to, clo- to a close is, are your hearts troubled at the moment? Are you walking through something that's making you uneasy? Is worry and anxiety building up in you? Because maybe you need a shift in perspective. Maybe it's a case you need to come to God and find comfort in him and his word. Maybe you are trying to go your own way or you're walking... Or, let me say that again. Maybe you're trying to walk in your own way instead of walking in the way that he's revealed to us. And maybe it's a case of saying, God, I want to come back and say, I want to walk in step with you. You are the way. Help me walk the way. Are you praying according to his will, his purpose, his way, truth, and life? To do as he's been doing so that, the, so that God may be glorified. It's magnifying him. We are here to magnify God. Because as I've already said, there is a future hope that is ahead of us. And it's so good. I can't comprehend it. But it's a great thing. And so I want to do all I can to keep, to keep walking the way that Jesus has unveiled to us. Because it's a way to him. It's a way to the Father. And it's a great thing. I'm going to pray over us as we close, but I'm also going to invite our prayer team up this morning. Because it's like, we're not going to end with a song today. We're just going to spend some time in reflection. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Do we believe it? Are we allowing doubts to cloud our perspective? Maybe we just need to come towards God in prayer. The the prayer team, again, I just want to invite you to come up. The prayer team are here for your benefit. They're here to come alongside you, but also, even if you don't want to come forward and you just want to pray in your space, that's okay as well. We just want to allow space for this to happen before we close our meeting today. But let me just pray over us and let's just come to that place of fixing our eyes on him. He is the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. As I said, he is the way. He was revealing to the disciples, yes, there may be trouble ahead, but I am your comfort. He sees what we cannot see yet. And so we trust in him. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.